It is Tuesday, August 29th at 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. I am your host, Clark Forster, along with my co-hosts, James Jackson and Brad Campbell. Uh, boys, not too many errors last week. We did a little bit better. Uh, nice. Went through the whole show and didn't find too much. Again, for the listeners, these are known errors. Uh, these are what we know of, but I did say Donovan Edwards to tail back from Michigan. Uh, I mentioned that he was a freshman last year. He was actually a sophomore. And then, Brad, you and I had a mm. little bit of discussion about Henrik Stenson. Uh, just to clarify, he was named captain of the European team and had that kind of yanked away because of his live status. And then we were talking about Americans who could go deep in the U.S. Open. Uh, Francis Tiafo actually did go to the semifinals last year. But other than that, a uh, pretty clean show. Nothing egregious. I'll take it. Uh, we do have a jam-packed show tonight, so we will spare the listeners the small talk. Uh, we got a small taste of college football this weekend, and we are going to take a stab at who we think the four playoff teams will be. Uh, Ryder, Ryder Cup selections are out today. We'll discuss Zach Johnson's captain picks and also talk about who we think deserves to be player of the year following Victor Holland's win at the Tour Championship Sunday. Uh, tons of baseball to get to. Mookie Betts is hot, and the Mariners mm. are even hotter. Hmm. Shohei Otani, unfortunate news there. Looks like he's set for a second Tommy yeah, John surgery. Yeah, Just yeah. horrible news for the game of baseball. And what <laughs> it means for the superstars looming free agency, and frankly, if we'll ever see the same Shohei again. We'll also discuss what injuries in sports history we would take back if we could. All that plus NFC's most overrated and underrated. But first, we're going to lead off with the fact that Dak Prescott's career is officially over. Uh, what do y'all think about that? It kind of happened in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it just glad to see the Cowboys preparing for their future like this, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the media is just like, they've been throwing dirt on his grave all off season. And I think we finally just, you know, put the nail in the coffin on this one <laughs> with this Trey Lance news. But what do you for think, those of you who like... don't know, uh, Trey Lance, the, Former number three overall pick for the 49ers was traded to the Dallas Cowboys uh, this past week for a fourth round pick. Uh, the 49ers gave up three first and a third for Trey Lance a couple years ago. Uh, Lance went into training camp battling with Sam Darnold for the number two position behind starter Brock Purdy, and he did not win that job. And the 49ers cut their losses and sent him to the Cowboys. Uh, not really a big story, honestly, but if you're watching ESPN, you're watching all these talk shows, um, everybody wants to make this something bigger than it is. The whole talk of the whole off season is that Dak Prescott is this super interception prone quarterback who can't ever, you know, take the Cowboys to where they need to be. He's terrible. He's horrible. Let's just find something to talk about for six months while we don't have football. And now you have this and you got people like Stephen A saying, this is Dak's last year as a starter that this is Jerry sending a message to Dak. Uh, I have been telling you guys for probably a month now that I am just not going to talk about Dak Prescott on the show. And here we, are. we are coming up on football season. We've got 17 weeks. The Cowboys are stacked. It's going to be a roller coaster season. They're going to win a lot of games. They're going to have some very tough losses. They're going to be right back in the playoffs in all likelihood in January. And then we're going to have the same thing we've had the past few years where it's like all right what are you going to do now uh i've tried to hold off talking about Dak prescott but <laughs> this trey lance stuff has <laughs> just done me in hey i have a question for you clark 
Have Have you ordered your Trey Lance jersey yet? Uh, see the trey lance jersey that i did order and yes i did is just a dallas cowboys t-shirt because that's all he's going to be wearing this season as he stands on the sideline uh not on the 53 man roster each sunday as cooper rush is the backup quarterback um and that's just part of why i'm so frustrated is because only the cowboys could use a fourth round pick on a third string quarterback and people will tell you that they're seven-year starting quarterback who they are about to sign to a $200 million contract extension is absolutely done. Um, well, how about that return just, on investment for the 49ers? Yeah, it's awful. I mean, it, God, it's really so bad. bad. It's one it's of the biggest so blunders in draft history that for sure. That is epically bad, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, think we talked awful. about it last week. I mean, you look at who was taken after Trey Lance, and it's yeah, just – It's a solid uh, list. Jamar Chase and Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater, uh, just tons of insane talent. Panay Sewell, Devontae Smith, um, Kyle Pitts. I mean, they could have had so many different people. Uh, and when they traded up for Mac Jones to begin with, and as, as bad as Mac's been in New England, there's no telling what he could have been in San Francisco. We touched on that as well. But now he's in Dallas. He gets a new start. Dallas has uh, – see, Dallas has been trying to get a – project quarterback for a while now um a couple years ago they tried to get jalen hurts they weren't going to use high draft capital on jalen hurts but they would have liked to get him in the third or fourth round Uh, obviously jalen hurts went to philadelphia in the second this year they were after a guy named aiden o'connell a quarterback from purdue who wound up going in the fourth round again the cowboys were looking somewhere around that fourth or fifth round range they've always been looking for a developmental quarterback to to put in that room just to kind of have somebody to build and kind of have that piece, you know, where, all right, worst case scenario, uh, we burn a a third day draft pick and best case scenario, this guy becomes our backup. And if something happens, he gets in and plays meaningful snaps. Uh, Then we've got an asset uh, that we can trade. Um, But now this, this stuff just with Trey Lance being famous and being drafted three overall, it's just let the worst takes in all the sports world come out. (laughs) And I'm trying to hold back, but I just can't. I mean, we're talking about a Cowboys team that has averaged 29.9 points per game with Dak under center since 2019. Okay, we're going back four years. That's the most in football. Uh, There was only one team that averaged that many points per game last year, and that was the Cowboys. So the Cowboys have been averaging that for four years now with Dak under center, Mm. and people want to get rid of this guy. And they're acting like Trey Lance, a guy who's done nothing in this league. And like I said, we'll be wearing a T-shirt. Is it going to be that answer? Uh, it's just ridiculous. NFL Network put up a graphic today just to, you know, clickbait stuff that showed Dak and Kirk Cousins side by side. And the headline was same guy, basically saying they're the same person. <laughs> and the stats were, they basically put up Kirk Cousins' best stats. First off, it was a four-year sample size. And it was like completion percentage and yards per attempt, like things that Kirk Cousins is actually really good at. So it's not even like really slamming Dak. It's just comparing Dak to somebody like Kirk, who everybody always hadn't had the best opinion of. But the thing that blew my mind was the first stat on there was wins. (laughs) And they each have 61 wins over the last four years, but they could have just put record. If they'd have put record, it would have shown that Kirk Cousins has 13 more losses over the time. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. hey, that doesn't get viewers. That doesn't get clicks. Um, 
anyways, I got a, I got a ton of stuff written down, but I honestly don't even want to touch on it. Do y'all have any opinions on Trey Lance going to Dallas? Did that move the needle for y'all in any way? Oh, it made me so happy when I saw that it happened because <laughs> I knew it would burn you up. I mean, there's really nothing to add. They they traded a fourth round pick for a backup quarterback, but but I knew a that backup, we would get backup. This, this visceral Thank reaction you. on Steal Your Take this week. So it made me really really happy. <laughs> well, it's a visceral reaction based on a visceral reaction. Like when you turn on the TV and you see Stephen A. Smith like rubbing his hands together, he's like, "Oh, this is the news that I've been waiting for." Like it's just like you got to be kidding me, man. Um, it, there's something in media today where it's just like, eh, instead of reporting the truth, let's just like give the people what they want. No and 90% of NFL fans absolutely despise the Dallas Cowboys. And if you can just hit Dak Prescott with a sh- in the face with a shovel every single morning on live TV, you're going to freaking do that. Um, yeah. So I'm ready for the seasons to start. Uh, the way I look at it is Stetson Bennett, just went for a fourth round pick to the Rams. He's 26 years old. I think Stetson Bennett's actually a good quarterback. Um, I was higher on him than most, but we get the Cowboys get a 23 year old for the same price. Who's got a way bigger upside. So it's really a nothing move. Uh, very little to lose a lot to gain, but the reactions of it are just ridiculous. Uh, let's move on to college football. Um, I don't even want to touch on the rest. I'll save all my other awesome Dak statistics for when the Cowboys have their first loss of the season and everybody's burying them again. Uh, what'd y'all think of the first weekend of college football? Did it do anything for you whatsoever? Do you learn anything? No. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot to take away from it. Even like the two big quote unquote Heisman candidates. I mean, they didn't even really show out to any exceptional level. So I'll tell you, one, one thing, one thing that I did notice is USC played San Jose State and I think gave up 28 points yeah. to that squad, which that's – I mean, even with USC's backups, they shouldn't be giving that – you know, Notre Dame took care of business 42-3. to three. That's something you expect. But USC giving up 28 to San Jose State tells me that USC is going to be just like Lincoln Riley's other squads where they're going to be – Lights out, awesome on offense, but are going to have to win 50-something to 40-something a bunch of different games, which I feel like mm. could very well come back to bite them in the butt with the quarterbacks that we talked about last week. They're going to be having to play week in and week out on the Pac-12. Or if they do happen to get into the playoff, they're going to be just like what Oklahoma squads were and get run off the field by whoever they play. Mm. I, I had the same thought. San Jose State scored 14 in the first half, too, so it wasn't like yeah. just all this happened at the yeah. end of the game. And this USC team, the cupboard was bare when uh, Lincoln Riley took over. And this yeah. is year two, and I know we have the transfer portal, and you get all these guys in, and you get the best player in the nation to come play quarterback. Last year they got Jordan Addison to transfer over from Pittsburgh. Uh, you're going to be able to build teams quicker now, but it's still year two. They're still not going to be very deep. They're still going to have problems, and it was evident on Saturday. Uh, Caleb Williams was still just incredible. I mean, that one play he made where he fumbled the snap yeah. and then yeah, was just yeah, that was sick. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he is unreal. Is, the dude is ridiculous. He's must see uh, TV for sure. Did y'all see the? Uh, did y'all see the play where the quarterback got his helmet turned around and he had to just heave it into the out of bounds? It was the <laughs> I whoever, did see that. Yeah, <laughs> it was whoever UMass it. Auburn plays UMass this weekend. Actually, yeah, was UMass played. was played New Mexico State. Yeah, yeah, that's who it he was. was luck- yeah, and he was lucky New he didn't Mexico have on that helmet tighter. He'd had his head ripped <laughs> it, off. Right for sure. But yeah, they face masked him and it flipped his helmet backwards. <laughs> and he was completely blind. Running that sounds like something from the Little Giants. It's the coolest thing I saw all weekend. So. <laughs> 
Sam, Sam Hartman, was that the other, you said two Heisman uh, yeah. candidates? Were yeah. you talking about Sam Hartman? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. For sure. And he had Sam four Hartman touchdown passes, at- but only 250 yards. But, I mean, that's the all-time – you know, something we didn't touch on last weekend is Sam Hartman's the all-time leading uh, touchdown pass leader for the ACC. So, I mean, dude's got serious credentials coming into Notre Dame. He didn't do – I mean, they beat – they beat Navy handily, but so he didn't have to do a whole lot. But we did totally skip over Sam Hartman last week, and he yeah. was thirteen to one. Yeah, yeah. If Notre Dame ends up in that playoff, he will definitely be getting an invite to New York. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Notre Dame's got that big game against Ohio State uh, in South Bend at the end of September, and that's kind of his chance right there. Yeah, you beat Ohio State, Ohio State. You play State. good. I think doing they play it. Clemson too. Mm-hmm. If I if I'm not mistaken. So he'll, he'll have some, some opportunities for sure. But back to college football playoff picks, we're, we're going to each give you all our four teams that we we're picking for the playoffs, uh, as well as sec East and West champs and an sec champ. Um, after seeing USC, do y'all have any faith in USC? Do y'all have anybody making the college football playoff out of the pac 12? No. In my four, I actually, I mean, I had three teams listed, and the fourth one was Oregon or USC. I think the winner of that game is going to be the fourth team in. Yeah, that's fair. Interesting, because I, I actually had I have Washington in my four, and I was going to mm. say the winner of the Washington-USC game uh, was going to go. And I'll start with mine since we're on it. Uh, Washington has Oregon and Utah at home. Um, I think the winner of the Pac-12 uh, is going to be determined on November 11th when Washington does travel to the Coliseum to face Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley and the Trojans. Uh, I think the winner of that game wins a Pac-12 and makes the playoff. Uh, I'll go Georgia. Um, I think it's a one-game season for Georgia. If they beat Tennessee at Rocky Top on November 18th, I think they're in. Uh, They win that game. Honestly, I think they go undefeated. They can probably afford to lose in the SEC championship if they go undefeated. If you play a good team like LSU or Alabama and lose a close game, uh, I think they could still get in with one loss. So I got Georgia out of the SEC, Washington out of the Pac-12. My third team is Michigan, just a stacked roster, only plays one ranked opponent outside of Ohio State, and that's November 11th at Happy Valley. Uh, They get by that one, and I think they go undefeated and win the Big Ten. Um, And my fourth team – I'm going Ohio State. Uh, like we talked about, they're at Notre Dame on September 23rd, and then they've got back-to-back games in late October, home to Penn State, and then at Wisconsin. If they can win those three, then I think that they can lose to Michigan in the big house, um, especially if Michigan's undefeated, as long as they just keep that game close. Uh, if they did lose to Michigan, their season would be over then, in all likelihood, because Michigan would go to the Big Ten Championship. So you'd have a one-loss Ohio State team that has three pretty good wins on the resume, including at Notre Dame, uh, and then a close loss to Michigan. I think they get in that. So my four are Georgia, Washington, Michigan, and Ohio State. Uh, James, who do you have? Yeah, so um, to kind of touch on what you mentioned, I'm going to set up my Final Four with – I have two SEC teams going in, so I want to kind of explain how I see this thing playing out. So I have for the SEC championship, I have Georgia beating Alabama. But I think that the SEC West is going to be a tie between Bama and LSU, both teams being 11-1. and one. I think I have Alabama's one loss as being at Texas A&M. Uh, for whatever reason, Jimbo has, has gotten his team up, has given Saban fits the past couple of years. Um, you know, so I have that one uh, as Bama's one loss. But I have LSU's one loss as being in Tuscaloosa. 
uh, in a in a close, very entertaining game. So I have Bama making it to Atlanta with Georgia beating them. So Georgia, I think, like you were saying, Clark, I think Georgia's going to go undefeated in the regular season and then win the SEC title. So they'll be number one overall seed. I have Michigan being the number two seed. Then I have LSU as an 11-1 with a close loss at Bama getting into the playoff as the three seed because they won't put them as four. They're not, they don't want the SEC squaring off in the semis. They want a chance to see them in the finals. And then I have Florida State, who I think LSU is going to beat in week one, but then Florida State is going to win out the rest of the season um, going as the four team. So I think it's going to be UGA, Michigan, LSU, and Florida State as the final four. And I have Michigan beating Georgia in the championship game. Okay. Mm. Okay. So I, I think it'll be uh, interesting, compelling stuff. A lot of storylines going on, but I think it's just going to be another one of those weird things where an SEC team is able to backdoor their way in, like we've seen a couple of times over the past so couple of years. You said you've got LSU and Bama each losing once, right? Yes. Mm. So interesting, because when I was doing SEC picks, I got Georgia coming out of the East. And then I think Bama and LSU each lose twice this year. Uh, I don't know if those will be SEC games, so to speak, because like <clears throat> you just said, I mean, LSU could lose this weekend to Florida. Bama, yeah, Bama could lose, could lose to, Texas. to Texas. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what two games those are, but I, I'm i just still not sold on LSU. Again, kind of like we were talking about Lincoln Riley, this is a, a program in its second year under its new head coach. Um, Bama – I don't see how you lose Bryce Young and replace him with someone yeah, we don't even know yet. When I was doing mine, I, I yeah. agree. But if anyone can record, do it, it's it's been the Nick Saban has proven sure. he's the guy that totally. can do it. Yeah, so to- that's totally. why. I, but but I just as I was filling out the schedule, I'm going through and I'm like, God, I just I, I can't do. I just it's so hard to pick against Nick Saban. Bama's schedule sets up well because, like you yeah. said, at, um, it is Tennessee a favorable schedule. Tennessee at home. Um, yeah, but you got. At, at Auburn, that Iron Bowl could be tricky, but I think they'll win that. Yeah, but but Bama fans will sit there and tell you about the two losses last year, and you'll say they'll say, "Oh, well, both those happened on the last play of the game." But you're kind of cherry picking there because you can go straight. Well, you to also Texas won like five games on the past, or exactly. five games in the last play of the game. Exactly like Texas, mm-hmm. like Texas A and M. Um, so you're if you're a good team, you're going to win more than those and more of those than you lose. But at the same time. Uh, I just see Bama losing a couple times this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got and I Georgia. I wouldn't be surprised by that either. I got Georgia coming out of the East. Uh, with both those teams losing twice, I'll give the edge to Bama simply because the, the game is in Tuscaloosa. I got Georgia over Bama in the SEC. I didn't pick national champion. I guess I'll go. See, once again, I could. I just could not pick Georgia to win three in a row because it's so hard to do. Yeah, I'll yeah. go Michigan. I'll go Michigan over Georgia in the national well, championship. That makes it unanimous because that's who I had written in as well. Well, I'll that's not going to happen. Quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll run through Wait, mine real quick. James, you picked Michigan to win it all as well? Yeah. And Brad, so, you did too? Yeah. So I'll run through mine. First of all, Jeez. you said that the Big Ten's wanted two for years. They had Fade Ohio State Michigan. and they had Ohio, Big Ten had Ohio State and Michigan last Mich- year. Last so. year. Yeah. 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 Um, so I had Michigan as the one seed. I think that, I mean, I felt like I was just pulling hats out of our names out of a hat when I was doing this. So, I mean, I kind of just went with what I know. There's too many unknowns for Georgia. They lost a boatload of talent. I know they can yeah. restock, but I don't know who that is. Same with Alabama. So I didn't include either one. Um, I have Michigan as the one seed. I think they run the table. I think they beat Ohio State. I think they go in as the one seed. I have LSU as the two seed. Um, there's a running theme here. I, I talked about it a little bit with the Heisman talk last week, but I have Texas as the three seed. I think both of those teams could go to T-Town and win that game. 
and then still suffer a loss somewhere along the way and still be the two and three mm-hmm. seeds. Um, so they have a little buffer there if they can get that win in T-Town. And again, until we know what Alabama, the product they're putting on the field, I just don't know how I can back them beating these teams that seem to be returning big name stars and well-equipped to have really strong programs this year. Um, and then again, I had Oregon or USC. I think if I just had to pick right now, I'd go Oregon. Um, so those are my four. Audacious. Uh, Michigan beating Oregon and LSU beating Texas and then Michigan beating LSU in the national championship. <laughs> Three picks for Michigan. Yeah, so that's the goodness. kiss of death. Michigan's probably not even making the playoff <laughs> They're now. They're cooked. But that schedule is – it looks just like George's, man. Yeah, like it, it sets it, up It does. Nice. But it's, it's, it's actually – George's is even easier. Uh, George's got like home to Ole Miss, who's like preseason 22, and then at Tennessee, who's like 12th. I think <clears throat> Listen, Michigan's right, so, at Penn State, who's like 7th, and then home to Ohio State, who's like 3rd. And That's how convenient it. was it that Jim Harbaugh gets suspended for three games, and those games are just cupcake games. <laughs> well, there's a reason why it was three, and and is those three, no doubt right. about it. Yeah, so Georgia gets UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, UAB, at Auburn, Kentucky, at Vanderbilt, Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, at Tennessee, at Georgia Tech. So like mm. you said, they're really – I mean, because Florida is not what they typically are, no. so that's not a tough game. Auburn still is down. So, yeah, I mean, it's at Tennessee. And then every other bit – what could be a test is at home. And then, of course, end on the road at Georgia Tech, which, I mean, they're, they'll trounce Georgia is, Tech. Is Graham Mertz going to be the starter for Florida? Is I that his name? I think so. <laughs> I, don't even, yeah. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> I, I, have, so, I have Florida as going four and eight this year. <laughs> oh, by the way, I do. I'll, I'll share my SEC. So I have LSU beating Tennessee in the SEC championship I like this it. year. Uh, I just think that again, Georgia has too Georgia has too much to restock. I think Joe Milton's the real deal. Uh, I think they get it done and get there this year. Um, another thing, so what I'll do you, point out, what do you think? Really, like LSU and Georgia, I mean LSU and Ten- uh, Georgia and Tennessee each lose once with Tennessee winning the matchup against them. Potentially, I mean, I didn't run through it game by game through the schedule, so we'll see what that looks like. One thing I'll point out here: I'm not saying this team is going to win the SEC or the SEC. West even, but I do think Arkansas is a serious sleeper in the West this year. Their offense is sick. Raheem Sanders is one of the best running backs in the country, and K.J. Jefferson is a pretty serious contender for SEC Offensive Player of the Year. If their defense did not suck so bad, Mm. I think they'd be a legitimate contender to win the West, but I don't know that that will be the case, so they probably aren't, but it's year three under Sam Pittman, so that yeah. could help a lot. I'm just saying, if they, if they, I could see them jumping out and surprising some teams and winning some games they aren't supposed to. The SEC West is going to be crazy. It's absolutely going to be nuts with all these good quarterbacks that they have and then the fact that the team with the most talent doesn't have a good quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be a yeah. lot of chaos in the SEC West, and I, there's going to be one team outside of Alabama, LSU, that's going to – rise up there and give everybody fits and contend yeah. for the, the division. I agree. I just don't know who it is. I have Arkansas has a four-game stretch where they're at LSU, then A&M at home, then at Ole Miss, at Alabama. Goodness. <laughs> when, I have them losing all four. I have them losing all four of those games. That's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I have them going 8-4 with them losing them four in a row. Game, though. Yeah, yeah, I could too. Yeah, I could too, and especially for whatever reason, that A and M Arkansas matchup, like it seems like just wacky stuff happens in that game. Yeah, it's usually a pretty good game. 
Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, at LSU and at Bama, I don't think they have a chance to win either one of those games. Yeah. I wouldn't predict them to win either. All right, let's move it on to uh, a little bit of golf. Ryder Cup was announced today. Um, Brad, why don't you go over the six captain selections by Zach Johnson um, I don't think anything really surprised us there. JT got in. I think that it was really down to that last pick, but it was – tell me if I'm leaving somebody out because I don't have this in front of me, but the six captains picks were Brooks, Colin, Ricky, JT. Who am I leaving off? I know Sam, Sam Burns. Burns I'm leaving off. And but Speed. Who's the, and Speed. Speed, thank you. Yeah. Um, JT, we've we've kind of discussed ad nauseum. Uh, he got in just as we expected. Mm-hmm. What'd you think about Sam Burns being that final captain pick? Well, I won't pretend like I expected it. Cause I said for weeks that I didn't think JT would get picked. So <laughs> I'm very, very glad that he did. Um, clearly, you know, your record in these international events, like the Ryder cup and president's cup matters. Um, and I'm glad that it does. Clearly your relationships there. with the people picking the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, Look, I think the team is exactly what we expected it to be outside of maybe Sam Burns wasn't the guy that we expected to be the very last pick. It could have been one of three guys, really, to me, uh, either Tony Finau, Keegan Bradley, or Sam Burns. Ultimately, you know, I'd kind of, I'll admit, I kind of forgot that he won the match play event this year. And that weighed heavily into this decision, I'd imagine, because that's exactly what this is. Um, so, his relationship apparently with uh, Scotty Scheffler weighed heavily into that decision as well. I still think Keegan Bradley got absolutely robbed this year, though. He belonged on that team. But you know what? Again, I, I totally kind of just completely put it out of my mind. It was so long ago that he won that match play event. But that's, I mean, again, this is a match play um, structure. Format. So, yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, so I just I think that should weigh heavily into this, honestly. It still was a surprise, though. And Keegan kind of touched on the relationship aspect of it all as well. He was quoted today saying, and I quote, I've always been an outsider in the sport, but I've tried to get closer to the guys I thought would be on the team. I feel like moving forward, I'm going to have to automatically qualify for the Ryder Cup, Mm. end quote. Wow. Um, So he's a little bit bummed. He did did finish off that quote with saying he's pulling for the U.S. team. He's played in the Ryder Cup before. Um, He was a good sport about it. I don't. I don't see anything wrong with him, him saying that. And I agree with him as well. He's got a good argument. Um, but I, I just, I'm kind of nonchalant about it. It's that last pick was, I mean, they could have given it to any one of those guys and I'd understood. I did think Keegan deserved it. Um, if you go down the 12 selections for the Ryder cup, obviously six qualified and six captains picks, but you have 10 major champs, then you have Ricky, a guy who's finished second in three out of the four majors and third in the other. And then you have Sam Burns, a guy who's never finished higher than 20th in a major. Um, yeah. Zero top five finishes this year outside of that win at the match play. Yeah, I hadn't finished fifth in a tournament since the Canadian Open in June of 2022. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. But, hey, if he's going to elevate the play of the best player in the world, then all, by all means, you know, the difference between him and Keegan ain't that substantial. So no, no, yeah. it's not. And and if you told me that, all right, Clark, your bank account depends on 
which of these players makes more money on the PGA tour next year. I'll go Sam Burns all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's more Fair consistent. I think he's a better player, but at the same time, Keegan or not really towards Keegan, but Sam Burns disappears in big moments. I, I remember when Sam Burns burst on the scene and I would see his major odds and I'd sprinkle a little bit of money on him going into majors. And I learned that lesson real quick. I was like, <laughs> yeah, all right, too. no matter how hot <laughs> Sam Burns is entering this major <laughs> golf tournament, don't do it. Stay, stay away from him. Stay the dude away. does not show up. At he plays all. horribly in majors. Yeah. Um, so I don't know his personality. I don't know if teaming up with somebody and having a buddy on your bag, uh, will help him in this format. Uh, I did hear a little bit about his president's cup history. I don't think he has a good record there, but apparently his play wasn't that bad. I could care less about president's cup. It, president's cup does nothing for me. Yeah. It um, a comparison, so, that's for sure. Frankly, I just don't pay much attention to it, but Sam Burns is your 12th pick. I'm glad Ricky's on the team. Uh, all in all, in terms of an entertainment factor, this is about as entertaining of a U.S. team as there could have been. Um, I mean, I guess you could have thrown in Bryson and you could have really tipped the scales of the entertainment factor, but it, let's face it, Bryson never, Bryson was never in this conversation. No. Um, you could argue whether or not he deserved it, but he was behind closed doors. His name did not. Well, come especially up. after Zach Johnson made the comments he did last week about never watching. I mean, that 58 and the win he hadn't lived. I mean, Zach Johnson pretty much said it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. So, Yeah. Player of the year is a more uh, uh, better discussion to me. Um, Victor won the tour championship Sunday, uh, back-to-back wins. Uh, it's been a Rom for Scotty kind of debate for weeks, months. Uh, mm. I think Victor deserves to be in the conversation now. Um, I've got a different opinion on who should actually win, but I think Victor, I mean, there's some people who are going to say that Victor should win it. Brad, who do you think should be the player of the year? Um, I think Victor belongs in the conversation. I do not think he should win it. Uh, the 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 best thing going for Victor is the "What have you done for me lately?" mentality. I mean, all three of his wins have come within the last sixty days, and he just won the Tour Championship. His numbers just aren't as strong as the other guys, though. I mean, he's got nine top tens this year. That compares to ten for Jot Rom. Scotty has seventeen top tens this year. It's ridiculous. Um, I think. The conversation. Seventeen before. top ten, seventeen top tens, and twenty three starts. It's just in twenty three starts. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's and nineteen um, consecutive starts, where his worst finish was twelfth. Better, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think the conversation may ultimately begin and end with the fact that John Rahm has four wins and he won the Masters. He's also top ten three of the four majors this year, but Scotty has two. They both finished top five at two of the majors. Didn't do it at either one at the same. John Rahm was top five at the Masters in the Open. Scotty was top five at PGA and U.S. Open. Of course, John Rahm won the Masters. But the the greatest, like so Scotty, I I think that it should be Scotty. He won last year, so the 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 fact that they may go di- a different route could come into play as well. Scotty had a stretch this summer where he had seven consecutive starts that he finished in the top five. And that does not include any of his wins. Pretty unbelievable. Seven straight starts, pretty top five. I mean, that's just unbelievable. But uh, he also won the players, which is my third favorite tournament. It's basically the fifth major. Uh, but I think hold on, that, hold on, well, hold on. I got to make you discuss this real quick. We'll move on quickly. But it's your third favorite tournament. Yeah, for me, it's the Masters, the Open Championship, and the Players Championship. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Clark doesn't that's seem to approve of that order. <laughs> <laughs> what is your contention here? 
Uh, just stadium golf. Just, it just. I mean, I I went to the players this year. It was. I love the players. Uh, I think it's great. Um, but just, <laughs> no, I didn't realize no. you'd feel so strongly about that. That's interesting. No, for me no. though, U.S. Open's I, just I, kind of I, become I could, trash. I could over understand the years, if somebody said but, it, if if they liked it better than the PGA, I'll give you that. But the U.S. Yeah. Open, I mean, uh, man. U.S. Open, man, they keep. I don't know. The courses. I always like. I don't know. I like the U.S. Open because it's fun to watch those guys go out there and struggle. You know, it's fun to watch like, yeah, like three dudes be, you know, maybe under par or at par, and then everybody else just get wrecked. To Brad's defense, Bryson did make a little bit of a mockery uh, a couple years ago when he was just like, "I don't care about fairways. I'm just hitting as far as I can." And um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. and then we saw two guys shoot sixty ones this year. So, like I said, that's not supposed to be ridiculous. It's become a running joke. Eighteen, they had that. They had that fifty-five yard wide fairway on eighteen where Wyndham Clark absolutely just shanks his drive, like trying to win his first major, and it's in the freaking fairway i mean just ridiculous way to close the u.s open yeah but, but back to what you were saying the the player of the year debate to me it's resume first data and the if analytically who's the who's who's the better golfer this year i don't think you can argue it was scotty whose resume would you rather have you can't argue you'd rather have rom's resume so it's right. kind of it's it's ice cream what flavor do you like do you like the just the computer <laughs> guy who just was dominant strokes gained um Scotty had the seventh best adjusted scoring average of all time. Uh, Tiger has one through six. So nobody besides Tigers had a better adjusted scoring average than Scotty. Um, like we talked about 17 top tens, 23 starts, lead and strokes gained. Uh, he was the best golfer of the year, but give me four wins, including a green jacket. I'd rather have that. So it all depends on just what you want. Yeah. One other thing I'll point out real quick is that the last five winners have either won the tour championship or the masters. So Scotty doesn't qualify for either. Uh, moving on, what do we got next? A uh, lot of baseball going on this week. Uh, we did get a win in the Little League World Series, Team USA. Woo! Way to go, El Segundo, California. Uh, walk-off <laughs> home run in the sixth inning. Yeah. Won five straight elimination games uh, to take home the World Championship. Beat Curacao. Um, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. Mm. Uh, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago about NL MVP. And at the time, I think when we had this conversation we two weeks ago on the pod, Mookie, I think, was like 30 to 1 he was. to win the MVP. Yep. And this was when Olsen had like climbed all the way up to like 12 to or 15 to 1, something like mm-hmm. that. Freddie was hovering around there. And we were kind of discussing if Olsen keeps on the pace he was. Olsen's now 100 to 1. That tells you how fast these things change. Mookie on Monday morning, we woke up and Mookie was the favorite. And after last night's game where Ronald Acuna went four for five with a home run, five RBIs and two stolen bases, Acuna is now back to being the favorite. Uh, This thing is changing at warp speed. Freddie Freeman's still 12 to one. And as fast as things are changing, like just from a betting perspective, it almost makes you feel like you want to go bet on Freddie Freeman, because if Mookie can go from 30 to, to the favorite in two weeks, like what can Freddie do? Uh, what have y'all thought about Mookie's recent run? And uh, does this change your opinion on who the MVP is if the season were to end today? James, take it. Mm. Um, I think still at the season ended today, even though Mookie has been just on a torrid pace here lately, I still think I would go with Acuna um, just for you know what he has meant to that lineup with setting the table for everything. And then two, he's going to be the first uh, – 
first big league play. Well, it's kind of assumed, but be the first 30, 60 guy uh, in major league history. So, um, yeah. What is I, he, I think one I home s- run short right now? Yeah, he's at 29 right now. Okay. He's already got the bags. So, um, yeah, I mean, just playing unbelievable baseball. But then again, so is Mookie and so is Freddie for that matter. So it's just like <laughs> all three of these guys are just pushing each other. Unfortunately, Matt Olson kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we were talking about him a couple of weeks ago, we made sure to say if he keeps up this pace, which he's done yeah. like the opposite. Um, right. He pretty much has gone ice cold as opposed to all these guys just keep seemingly getting better and better. And to me, the most impressive part is it's like, man, you know, what? how can they get any better? But then they do. Um, yeah. And so it's just really, really fun to watch. And as a Braves fan, it's really annoying seeing these two guys be Dodgers and be so good and knowing that the Braves are probably going to have to play them in the postseason. Um, but as a baseball fan, it's awesome to watch. Yeah. Brad, you still got Acuna's MVP? Yeah, I do. I think that Vegas is just responding to loads and loads of money coming in on Mookie Betts at really good odds when he's this hot, to be honest with you. I think it's still Acuna's award to lose. So I've got a theory, okay? And when you're this late in August and you've got two people battling for an award like this on teams that let's face it, the Dodgers and the Braves regular seasons were wrapped up a while ago. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's still a little bit, of, a little bit to play for and they got to keep winning games, but they have long secured their standings in the playoffs as NL West and NL East champs. <laughs> when you've, when you're that dominant and you've got that big a lead in your division, you only have so few marquee matchups, marquee series, reasons to pay attention to these players. And I think what happened with Mookie was Mookie went on this crazy run in August. Uh, so he had a, after entering this week, entering Monday, Mookie had a 464 batting average in August with eight home runs. He's batting 400 with an OPS of 1.25 over his last 50 games. I told you all this earlier, but he's the only player in MLB this season to bat 400 over a 50-game span. So you go on a run like that, get everybody's attention, and then you go to Fenway, back to the place that traded you away in the worst trade we've seen Mm, since arguably the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth. He gets a standing ovation, has this big three-game series against the Red Sox, the media is all in there, just surrounding his locker every day. It's just story after story after story about John Henry trading away one of the greatest baseball players of our generation, him coming back, still being beloved in Boston, that whole storyline, the whole spotlight. That was kind of the series of baseball this weekend. And he goes something like 7 for 15 this weekend, hits a homer, just has a great series. The Dodgers look awesome. So he enters with all this momentum, gets all these eyes on him. People start paying attention to him. On the East Coast, nonetheless, where mm-hmm. he's been playing out in L.A. And then he has a series like this, and I think that just catapults you so much. And to the same kind of spotlight effect, what we saw Ronald Acuna do last night with that big game, four for five, home run, five RBIs, two stolen bases. It also came on a night where three dudes ran out of the stands and tackled him in right field. So not only is he <laughs> yeah. having that big night, and I know that says, what do three dudes tackling a guy have to do with the MVP race? But when you have a night like that and – Sports Center is able to lead with three dudes tackling you, and all of a sudden, Sports Center is spending the first ten minutes of the show talking about this incident, and then they also say, "Well, he also had a really good game on top of it." Well, then you've got everybody's attention, and then you show what he did, and you're like, "Wait a second, 
why is Mookie Betts the favorite in this race? Like mm. I'm finally now seeing what Ronald Acuna is doing and he's clearly still lighting it up. So both of them just kind of had their spotlight moment in two very different ways this weekend. Yeah. The first yeah. dude to hit him looked like he was trying to take a selfie. Yeah, he was. <laughs> dude, props to Acuna. Seriously. He if a guy's cool. sitting there bear hugging me and it's a complete stranger, how many, how many baseball players would have thrown fists there? Oh, yeah. A lot. Know. A lot. And would the fan in the stands, if this were Tim Anderson, would he have been able to beat up Tim Anderson? Mm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Who wins that what? fight? I don't know. Probably Depends because of Colorado. Right the type of, the type of yeah. fan that's coming out of the stands in Colorado, Tim Anderson, I probably give the edge to. Yeah, but if it happened yeah. in Chicago, I don't know. Yeah. Did y'all hear what happened in Chicago to the fans this past week? No. no. Somebody got shot in the outfield stands, mm. and they have the police can't figure out how Wait, it happened. At, at Nobody, Comiskey? At Comiskey, yeah. <clears throat> Wow. And nobody nice. heard a gunshot. The police said to stop the game and then they found out, then they like immediately changed their decision. They're like, wait, that could actually cause chaos and panic. So nobody heard a gunshot. Nobody knows where the bullets came from. There's theories that it like was like shot from far away and then landed in the stadium. Uh, nobody knows what happens. Nobody knows what happened and they're still trying to figure it out. Uh, Only in so Chicago. Some, so some weird stuff. Yeah. I would say, Dodger Stadium and, and the south side of Chicago are the only two places that would happen. <laughs> but, yeah, Mookie's on a tear. Uh, Acuna's still doing his thing. Uh, one last stat before we move on that I found interesting. I sent you all this as well. So Acuna's got 61 stolen bases this year. Uh, he's got 4.9 base running runs above average. Uh, that's t- kind of a tough stat to quantify because you just don't hear it thrown out very much. But if you compare it to Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman has 4.3 base running runs above average. And I thought that was interesting because Acuna has 61 stolen bases to Freddie's 17. Now, this stat takes in account all base running, not just stolen bases. But analytics say that you have to steal bases at an 80% clip for it to be advantageous. Uh, Right now, Acuna stealing in an 85% clip. So he's 61 for 72. So he's definitely looking great there. But Freddie, Freddie has 17 stolen bases, but has only been caught once. So he's stealing in a 94% clip. I didn't realize Freddie mm. was stealing bases like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got 50 doubles. Uh, Dodgers record. When you're setting Dodgers yeah. records in the month of August, that's something. That's what yeah, I said. That's, that the, that's the craziest part about what Acuna and Mookie are doing is Freddie Freeman is playing – so unbelievably well, and no one's talking about it. All the focus <laughs> is on these two guys. Hey, Freddie mm-hmm. is so good. Yeah, 5.9 war, uh, 9.98 OPS. Yeah. Just, Freddie's having a ridiculous season, man. Yeah. Uh, sticking with baseball, AL West. Uh, I mean, it's, my goodness. It's the zoo what? out there, man. I'm <laughs> Wide absolutely open. losing my mind. I spent my Sunday watching the <laughs> Rangers – lose in 13 innings it was their ninth loss in 10 games it was the worst way to spend a day i kept on waiting for the game to end (laughs) and it just would not end and we kept going and then finally the rangers lose by throwing a four pitch walk with the bases loaded in the 13th Mm. inning um brutal the rangers now have 25 blown saves on the year and only 24 saves they have more blown saves than saves for a team that's 15 plus wow. games above 500, that's, that's a nearly good impossible. Yeah. It's nearly impossible. That's insane. And the Astros have been 
pretty bad as well. And meanwhile, the Mariners are just what are the Mariners at now? I so, think they've won like twenty or twenty-one games in the month of August. They've got a one-game lead. They're twenty-seven and eight in their last thirty-five. Their eight losses have only been by ten runs. Thirty-five straight games without losing by more than t- without losing by more than two runs. It's just ridiculous. They came out of nowhere. They were they traded their closer at the trade deadline. They were partial sellers at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. They were giving up, and now they've got a one-game lead in one of the best divisions in baseball, probably the best yeah. division in baseball. I think uh, they, I think best division in baseball. You probably still have to give to the AL East just because they don't have uh, they don't have Oakland in their division. Yeah, hundred <laughs> yeah. percent or Los Angeles or the AL. Yeah, I do think uh, the silver the Yanke- lining. I mean, here. the Yankees are the. Right, sorry, go ahead, Brad. Well, I think the silver lining here is that. AL East is the team is the division everybody thought that would get three teams, and that's just doesn't doesn't look like that's going to be the case anymore. It's going to be the AL, AL West that does. I think that's the cool thing about this is that there's such a heated race going on in the AL West, and then it's likely we see all three teams getting the playoffs, and they're going to be. But the crazy thing is a serious the, force. All three of them. The Red Sox and Jays are right on the Astros and Rangers' tails. Yeah, zone. It, it is. It, I think we forget about that because the Red Sox and Rays have been only after the wild card the whole year where the Astros and Rangers have been just battling for that AL West, both are world series contenders. And now all of a sudden you look up and the guys that I follow on Twitter who are usually telling me the Astros scores every night, all of a sudden they start tweeting out the Mariners scores. And now I'm sitting there following them and they're tweeting out blue Jay scores. And I'm like, this is getting <laughs> yeah. out of hand. Yeah. yeah. It is. Like win yeah. some games, Rangers come on. Yeah. Uh, if I have to deal with the Rangers falling apart, like the Mets did last year in September and, mm. Dak getting more dirt on his grave as the Cowboys get off to a one and three start. <laughs> Alabama goes and loses to Texas. I, I might just quit the pod. Um, that would be a rough stretch. I, I got to bring this the up best real episodes. quick. <laughs> Clark just bring, just wallowing in misery. I got to bring this up real quick though, because we were talking about just the depth of these two divisions and how the Angels are not part of it. This happened four or three hours before we started the pod but did y'all see what the angels did today no No. all right so the los angeles the los angeles angels this is a tweet from jeff passan have placed starter lucas giolito relievers matt moore and ronaldo lopez and outfielders hunter renfro and randall grychuk on waivers sources tell espn so they just released Three dudes who are in the starting lineup today, plus Lucas Giolito, who they spent a bunch of capital on at the trade deadline. Mm. And they're putting them on waivers just to save $7 million. And now any team can go out and pick these guys up. So it's kind of like if you're at a fantasy fantasy league and you have that opponent who just doesn't care and they start just releasing their best players at the end of the year while you're battling for a playoff spot. And then your opponent picks up these players because they're ahead of waivers on you. And you're just throwing a fit so the one thing i feel like as a rangers fan that's benefited us from losing eight straight nine out of ten is that maybe the rangers are high enough in the waiver wire to go get these freebies that the angels handed out yeah giolito and i think grychuk was also an uh one of their acquisitions here at the trade deadline if i'm not mistaken so that's two of those guys they're just letting go now about less than a <laughs> I mean, month just, later and meanwhile perfect sag into this Shohei Otani, mm. torn UCL, my goodness, mm. just devastating news. But the Angels are out there releasing players 
while Shohei Otani has a torn ACL and it's told the Angels, I'm staying in the lineup. I know I'm done pitching, but I don't care if my elbow is torn up. I can hit. It's on the inside of my elbow. It's on my inside hand. I'm still going to go rake. He, he, I think he was was like seven for eight in his first eight at-bats since yeah. his torn ACL. The dude is not human. Uh, but what what was your reaction, James, when you heard that Shohei Otani had a torn UCL and was set for his second Tommy John surgery in five years? Man, it's just, just heartbreaking because this guy is so fun to watch and it's just so unbelievable. I mean, he's such a good pitcher, such a great hitter. I mean, he's just absolutely legendary. And so to see him lose such a big part of his game uh, with having this UCL problem is just really, really sad to see. And it would have been a lot of fun to see what his numbers would have ended up being if he could have stayed healthy the whole season. Yeah. I feel like we're kind yeah. of robbed from from a, an historic moment. And I saw Buster Olney saying that that $600 million evaluation is no longer on the table and $500 million might even be off the table at this point, which also begs the question, do you, does this potentially put it on the table that the angels could maybe keep them? I hope not. I, I mean, look <laughs> is this the, the best angels, thing like, that ever happened to the angels? But real weirdly? quick, let's, t- let's take a look at literally what the angels just did three hours ago. I mean, they're, they're dropping their talent. Yeah. I, I, what's he going to come back to? No, I, I don't think it'll be a good situation either way, but I'm just curious if it potentially puts it on the table for them to keep him. And I guess letting those guys go is not going to clear out the money that they need to spend on him either way. But it is a move. They only save like, $7 million. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> ridiculous. At all, so. But it is a money-saving move. Um, but either way. So I'm just curious. I mean, his price tag just went way, way down. That's an interesting you know, perspective. It's, it's, it could could be the best thing that ever happened to him. Well, there's a lot to unwrap here. First off, as James mentioned, we're we're losing out on arguably the greatest baseball season ever. Yeah. And we he, you he, this season could still be in debate for that, but we wanted to see him finish it out. We wanted to see what he could do. Last year he had that epic season. Last year was the first instance we really all got to see real Shohei because he had Tommy John in 2018. He basically didn't pitch again until the 2020, which was a COVID year. And then he comes back in 2021. We get him in 2022. He has this special year. It just so happens to coincide with the year that Aaron Judge is breaking the single season home run record for non steroid users in a year mm-hmm. that he's also ch- in the triple crown chase, mm-hmm. uh, in a year where the Yankees are in the playoff hunt. So he kind of got overshadowed there despite having, like what I said, arguably the best baseball season ever. He comes back this year, has an even better season, and we get it cut short like this, and we get it cut short right before free agency, and one of the wildest free agency chases we'll see in any sport in our entire lives. Uh, Ken Rosenthal Rosenthal of Fox Sports did say that he thinks that Shohei will still get $500 He made some pretty good points talking about how Aaron Judge got his big contract. I think it was 360, uh, and Aaron Judge was two years older and obviously doesn't pitch. Um, I'm curious to see what this does. And Brad, to your point, does this open up chances for certain teams that we're worried about? All right, we may only have to pay him 450 million now, not 650 million, and we never had the infrastructure nor the coaching in place to kind of deal with Shohei's schedule of you know, all this routine and maintenance and going back and forth between the batting cage and bullpen. Does this put anybody else in play or is it still kind of just the Dodgers, Giants, Cubs, 
maybe Mets Rangers come in with a big paycheck kind of thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I mean, also, I mean, next year potentially, um, if you were looking to put an ace in your rotation, you may not have that option. You know, you're just looking at his bat being added now. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that weighs into it, and the fact that the money's come way down, the amount that people are going to offer him is going to change. Um, I think it changes a lot about what we were expecting to see this offseason when he was going to become a free agent. I don't get the blame. A lot of people are blaming the angels for how this happened. And I get it when you have an organization like the angels who has thrown away the careers of the two greatest baseball players we've seen this century. Sure. Give them all the blame in the world, but Shohei has had a lot of injury issues the past couple months. We've seen him pull from start after start. His start before he tore the UCL, his velocity was way down. Uh, there's been red flags everywhere, but Shohei was the one that kept going. Shohei was the one that wanted to do this. They've been on Shohei's schedule the whole time on Shohei's terms. And the fact that this happens and Shohei stays in the lineup as a hitter when the team is still has no chance of making the playoffs – shows that the Angels aren't to blame here. Shohei, not saying he did this to himself, but the guy just wants to play, and you're not going to hold that guy down. So as much as I'd love to pile on the Angels, I don't think they deserve it here. Um, but I just don't know if we see the same Shohei again. I do think that we'll eventually get him on the mound again. It clearly won't be next year. It might not even be the year after that. But he will come back in some sort of role. But the I think the the years of us seeing him get 15, 20, 25 starts a year, I think they're behind us. Mm -hmm. um, I hope not, but who knows? If anybody can do it, it's Shohei Otani. Uh, speaking of injuries, Shohei is way up on my list, mm -hmm. along with his teammate, honestly, of injuries that if I could take back any sports injury ever, that I would take back. Let's keep it on baseball right now. James, if you could take back one baseball injury ever, what injury are you taking back? Yeah, so I'm going to go with an old school guy, a guy that I never uh, came even close to having the pleasure of seeing play, but he his name is absolutely legendary, uh, Sandy Koufax. And nice. interestingly enough, uh, talking about Shohei having to have his second Tommy John surgery, uh, I found an, an old article that was back in 2012, a guy named Dr. Frank Job, who was actually the, the first person to perform Tommy John surgery, was talking to the media and he said, if I was smart enough to do this 10 years before, it might be called the Kofax surgery. Job said that Kofax had essentially the same thing as Tommy John and Tommy John underwent that, that procedure in 74. And at that time, people thought that he was done and Tommy John came back and pitched 14 more seasons in 164 games. So it just completely changed the game of baseball. But uh, if, you know, if that procedure had been developed a little bit earlier, Sandy Koufax would not have had to retire uh, at the peak of his career. So the season that he retired, it was in 1966. He was 30 years old at the time. And during that season, went 27-9 and with a 1.73 ERA and 317 strikeouts in 323 innings. So, yeah, he was just absolutely mowing people down. So... <laughs> um if you look at his career numbers, it's really interesting because 
there was a program back in the day that he went through where he essentially skipped over the minors and went straight to the major leagues. So his first handful of seasons really were, were, you know, kind of a struggle with them dealing with command and, and still adjusting to the bigs and all of that stuff. But I think, let's see, starting in 1960, he went on a historic, actually 61. Um, but even for his career, a career 2.76 ERA, um, he, let's see, led the majors four different times in wins, had seasons with 25, 26, and 27 wins. And in those years, had a 1.88 ERA, 2.04 ERA, and 1.73 ERA. Uh, and then he also, in his last two seasons before he had to retire, had 27 complete games in both of those seasons, um, leading the big. So he also led the majors uh, four different seasons in strikeouts and just had all sorts of different accolades. But uh, it's it's interesting going back and looking. He, he started being worried about his health uh, back in 1962 with playing in the National League he had to bat. And so he actually got hit in the hands on an inside pitch in 1962. At the time, he was 14 and four and, and had 209 strikeouts. This is at the beginning of July. And he got hit in the hand, ended up losing circulation to uh, one of his fingers. And the doctors were worried they were going to have to amputate the finger. He kept trying to pitch and said it was essentially like a raw flap of meat. Like he couldn't, he couldn't feel it mm. at all. Was getting raw, blistered, just no control. So he ended up having to sit the season out, and that's when he really started kind of thinking about his health and everything. And then, you know, ended up having the uh, the elbow issues. But so um, he won the major league triple crown for pitching three different times, uh, threw four no hitters, also pitched a perfect game. Let's see. He um, sorry if you hear. My, my wife's doing things with the baby in the background. Um, <laughs> and let's see, there was another crazy stat, but where is it? I lost it. No, somewhere I'm looking at notes. his baseball reference page right now, and it's ridiculous. There's so much bold on there. And yeah, first off, I didn't realize until you said that he retired at age 30 and also didn't realize that he led the majors in ERA five times, and they just so happened to be the last five years of his career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So here it is. His retirement ended a five year run in which Koufax went 111 and 34 with a 1.95 earned run average and, and 1,444 strikeouts. They won three National League pennants, two World Series titles, both of which he was named the MVP. And he won Cy Young awards in each of the pennant winning years, including the NL MVP in, in 1963. So winning Cy Youngs wow. and MVPs in the wow. same year. I mean, he was just. Absolutely unbelievable. And it's fun to hear, uh, you know, baseball old timers like my dad uh, talk about Sandy Koufax. And, and there was a quote, too, that I found um, by Yogi Berra, who was saying one of those years, Sandy Koufax went something like 27 and five or something like that. And he said, what I, he said, the craziest part to me is not that he won 27. How did he lose five? You know, I mean, he was just that good. So, um, but yeah, his his injury was cut or his career was cut short. Um, so on November eighteenth, a few weeks after the nineteen sixty six World Series, he announced his retirement. And during the press conference, he said that uh, had severe arthritis and constant pain in his pitching arm. That each day after he would have an outing, his arm would be just completely swollen and black and blue, and he could barely move it. 
And so he knew that something was going on. And doctors told him at the time that if he continued pitching, he very well could lose, uh, lose use of that arm going forward. And so that's why he decided it was more important uh, to take care of his health and, and, you know, to go live a normal life than to keep going and risk it for a couple more great years and possibly, you know, have to live the rest of his life one handed. So uh, definitely a shining star that, that was uh, snuffed out right at, at the prime of his career. Mm-hmm. I love that you pick Sandy Koufax. There, there's certain players in sports that you hear people talk about, like our dads, um, and they just talk about them over and over that you yeah. kind of want to do deep dives on them. I'm glad you did a deep dive on Koufax because every now and then I'd sit there and hear my dad talk about certain people. Bob Gibson was one of them. And you'd get on Baseball Reference and you'd see what Koufax and Gibson were doing in the, in the 60s and you're like, I don't know if I've seen anybody do what they were doing. I mean, yeah. maybe like peak Pedro for like those – two or three years at the end of the nineties, but like, whew, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, Brad, who, what baseball player would you have liked to seen stay healthy? Which injury would you change? Yeah. When you pitched this idea to me, I think it took me three seconds to respond Griffey, you know, <laughs> uh, my all time favorite athlete. Um, I was so obsessed with Griffey that, in fact, uh, just to, to put that into reference, I'm a massive Braves fan. And my, my favorite moment as a child uh, maybe for all the sports was when Griffey scored the winning run against the Yankees in the 95 yeah. NLDS. Um, the funny thing about that is, is as a Braves fan, that was the year the Braves won the world series, but yet that's what sticks out to me about those playoffs. That's why. Um, well, Griffey never got to go to the playoffs. Yeah, it was kind of like trout. I relived that moment today. It's still just as good. If anybody hadn't seen that in a while, it's good. It's a good thing to go back and watch, but well, King before bonds, rocking. Well before Bonds got all roided up and started thre- threatening Hank Aaron's home run record, the guy everyone thought that was going to do it was Griffey. Um, he was the youngest player to ever hit 400 home runs. <laughs> it was around that time that everybody started chattering about him breaking that record. Goes to the Reds in 2001 and was just and he he tears his left hamstring and, and was just never the same. Uh, was hampered by injuries the rest of his career. Crazy thing about it, we were talking about Mike Trout earlier. He was younger then than Mike Trout is now. So that kind of puts it into perspective just how much baseball he had left in him. Did not eclipse 100 games played over the next four years from 2001 to 2004. Never eclipsed 40 home runs the rest of his career. Never won another gold glove. He had won 10 straight before that. He never Um, won a gold glove after that. Never won another gold glove after that. Wow, not even on reputation. You usually see one of those reputation awards. Wow. Yeah. Um. I really felt like if, if, if injuries don't derail that career, uh, Griffey had a legit shot for being the all-time leading home run hitter. If not, we just had several years of great baseball left. U- ultimately, he, uh, he finishes with, with 630 home runs, which puts him at seventh all-time. But, I mean, there's just so much left on the table for Griffey. Um, I'll never forget the, the, the injury. I was, I was watching the game where he got hurt, and it just it – ch- that was – Everything changed after that for Griffey. He was never the well, same. Then he started gaining weight, and it just it wasn't the same guy. I mean, yeah. And the crazy thing means. is, he still played till he was forty years old. But again, he—I don't think he had a, a season after that. He had two seasons where he played more than one hundred forty games, and that was when he was thirty-six and thirty-seven. And in one of those, he hit thirty-six home runs, so he still had a lot of power left. He just couldn't stay on the field after that. So um, I think it—you know—he's still considered one of the greatest players of all time, obviously. But I think it would be undebatable if he doesn't go down in that 2001 season. It could stay healthy from then on. He had a litany of injuries that 
it wasn't just the hamstring after that. You know, he had multiple injuries that that hampered him the rest of the career, but a lot of left, a lot of baseball left on the table there. Well, and that's what I'm scared to death of, Brad, is that you talk about the age that Griffey was when that happened. We've seen Mike Trout the last three years, and that stuff is all starting to happen to him. And he's got that back issue as well. And both of those are guys who started when they were really young and burst onto the scenes and put up crazy numbers and got off to these huge starts. And when you start extrapolating these numbers and kind of thinking in your head, all right, how long is this guy going to play? How quickly will his decline be? And you start thinking about those numbers in your head. Those numbers get really big. And I'm afraid that Mike Trout is going the way of Griffey. Um, And that kind of leads to the guy who I chose, who's Mm -hmm. very similar. Uh, Another center fielder who had injury issues and got off to a very hot start his career, but the injuries just kind of plagued him throughout his career. And he never really amounted to what he truly could have been, which is crazy because I'm talking about one of the best 15 baseball players of all time, despite all this, I'm going with Mickey Mantle and Mm -hmm. I could choose a variety of injuries to choose from, but there's one that stands out above all when Mantle was 19 years old, he was a rookie. He was playing in the 1951 World Series. And his manager, Casey Stengel, told him, all right, Mantle, you're in right field. DiMaggio is old, and he's got a hurt heel in center. Anything that gets hit his way, I want you over there, and I want you snagging it. Well, DiMaggio couldn't stand Mantle at the time. Mantle was the new up-and-comer. DiMaggio was kind of on his way out. DiMaggio didn't like that at all. So Willie Mays hits a fly ball kind of in between them. Mantle gets on the Jets, goes after it. And at the very last second, as Mantle's about to catch it, DiMaggio tells him to get out of there. Mantle hits the brakes. His cleat goes into a drain and just gets caught up into a drain, and he tears up his knee. He's down on the ground. DiMaggio comes over. Mantle's not even moving. DiMaggio later tells the story that he thought Mantle had been shot. Like, Mantle was just out. He thought Mantle had literally been shot. And then Mickey tells the story that his first memory is DiMaggio in his ear, kind of talking to him. And he said that was the first time all season DiMaggio had talked to him. Hadn't spoken a word to him all season, couldn't stand him, was finally talking to him as he was down on the ground in the World Series in right field. But Mantle tore up that knee, didn't have surgery for two years. Uh, A lot of his biographers, there's multiple people who've reported that they believe that ACL was never repaired. Uh, He tore his meniscus, his MCL, and his ACL, and they don't think the ACL was ever repaired. And then he played with a torn ACL for all 17 years of his career, uh, which is just ridiculous for the type of athlete he was. Uh, Mantle finished his career with just crazy numbers. Um, He had a triple crown, I believe, in, was it 1956? Uh, 536 home runs. one of the best players we've ever seen, best switch hitter of all time. Uh, He wasn't quite what Willie Mays was. Uh, Definitely could have been if if not for this injury and and for many others. Um, Three-time AL MVP. Um, But he only hit more than 30 doubles one time. And when we talk about a guy like Freddie Freeman who's got 50 right now, and you think Mickey Mantle never hit, Mm. only hit more than 30 one time, you can tell how an injury like that affects you. Mantle was a freak athlete, okay? Mantle was offered a football scholarship from the University of Oklahoma to go play halfback and obviously decided on baseball, which was clearly the good choice. Um, 
Another thing, you talk about Ken Griffey, Brad. Ken Griffey Sr. is the only baseball player that has been clocked from home to first as fast as Mickey Mantle, and that's 3.1 seconds. Um, And that's not one of those like old Babe Ruth tales where you can't just go back and check. Like there's video. You can time it yourself if you want to. Uh, For for reference, uh, you all remember Billy Hamilton. I think we've talked about him on the pod before. Uh, One of the fastest baseball players I've ever seen for the Reds to all those bases. He averaged going from home to first in 3.8. That was his average. Now, I think that the highest he ever got was 3.3. But the fact that Mantle went 3.1 and Billy Hamilton could only get to 3.3 tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, he, he had a variety of other injuries as well. Um, right shoulder injury, uh, injury to the ribs, uh, abscess of his right hip. Um, he had osteomyelitis in the bone. Uh, bone infection, uh, broke his finger, pulled, pulled his thigh muscle. Uh, he re-injured that same right knee later, uh, broken foot, um, sprained his other knee. Dude just didn't take care of himself. And one injury after another, just kind of kept catching up on him. And he still had this crazy career, uh, from 1951 to 1964. I mean, we're talking about 14 seasons. He hit 309 with a 1.011 OPS. Um, and this is post-injury with playing without an ACL. Uh, the guy was an absolute freak, and he truly could have been the best baseball player we've ever seen if if not for this one particular injury um, and if he would have taken a little bit better care of himself. Uh, this injury definitely wouldn't have prevented him from taking better care of himself. Uh, Mickey yeah, he was just never, never going to live his life like that. Uh, he even said, there's a famous Mickey Mantle quote. Uh, he says when he's older, he's like, if I'd have known I would have lived this long, I wouldn't have taken such bad care of myself. Uh, but yeah, just, just an unbelievable athlete. Um, it, it really would have been interesting to see what these numbers would have looked like had he not had this one horrific knee injury. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about a couple other sports. So, uh, that covers baseball. Other sports, what what athletes come to the top of your head that you'd like to see stay healthy? James, there's I know where you went to school. There's one in particular there. What athlete would you have liked to see stay healthy? Yeah, I think the the most obvious answer when we were talking about this topic is uh, none other than Bo Jackson, uh, former Auburn University, pretty much all athletes are. You know, he won the Heisman Trophy there, as everyone knows, and was one of the all time greats at running back. But he also was a great baseball player and uh, really, really like ridiculously good at track. Uh, and especially for how big he was, um, if you go back and see footage of him running in college track meets, it's him next to all these like skinny dudes. And it's just like, what is this guy doing out there? And then he's just like blowing past. I mean, he ran, I think his best hundred meter time in college is like right around a 10, three or something like that. So you know, just a blur uh, at, you know, 240 pounds, whatever, however big he was. I don't even know what his size was. But, you know, just um, just a, an unbelievable specimen. And, uh, you know, so like, like I mentioned, had a great college career and then kind of had a weird um, instance with the pros. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers ended up costing him his senior baseball season, um, which he got really mad about. So the Buccaneers drafted him number one overall. He made it very clear that he was never going to play for them, and so he ended up signing with the Kansas City Royals. Um, so kind of a 
a strange situation there where he turned down being the number one draft pick in the NFL to go play double A baseball. <laughs> uh, so just kind of, kind of weird situation there. But, um, you know, I, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure about this. I think he's the only athlete to ever be named to the pro bowl and the MLB all-star game, um, during his career. Um, I know that Dion played both sports, but I don't think he ever made, uh, the MLB all-star game. So, but Bo, in his in his brief professional career, uh, made the All Star game in in '89. Was also the MVP of that game. He led off with a moonshot of a home run that apparently just all the other players. Uh, mm-hmm. I was reading an article about it. It was talking about when you see uh, the best players in the game just awestruck by someone. You know, it, it, only Bo Jackson could do that to people. Um, so. Did that have he had 30 home runs in 1989, stole 20 bases, had 100 RBIs, so had a really good, uh, really good season, and then kind of decided almost as an afterthought that hey, I'm going to give this football thing a shot, pick that back up, and so went and played with the Raiders, uh, was there for four seasons, ended up having a career rushing average of 5.4 yards per carry, um, and every season except for 1988. Had a run of at least 80 yards, uh, so his breakaway speed. You know, once he once he got away from you, you weren't catching him. Um, well, James, to interrupt real quick, we were talking on last week's pod about Nick Chubb having the record for five seasons yeah. at 5.2, and then there's Bo at 5.4, just ridiculous. Yeah, mm. yeah. So uh, very impressive. And then, unfortunately, uh, in the 1990 football season, but it was in January of '91 because it was in the playoffs against the Cincinnati Bengals. He gets tackled from behind and dislocates his hip. And when he stood up, he said that he could tell something was wrong. He's kind of trying to walk it off. And so he popped his hip back into a socket and, uh, you know, to continue trying to play and everything. But it ended up when he did that, that he damaged the blood vessels supplying blood to his hip. And so uh, the doctors, when they went in, didn't realize exactly the extent of the damage and it ended up leading to death of bone tissue in his hip. And so he ended up having to have a complete hip replacement and so had to retire from football after that. And so it's really interesting um, if you you look at quotes from his former teammates, if you talk to, you know, if you, if you see what people from the Raiders said, they said that if he had decided to just play football, that he'd be one of the best football players of all time. And then same thing if you talk to his old uh, baseball teammates like George Brett and guys like that, uh, they say that he would have been one of the best baseball players of all time. And I thought it was really mm-hmm. interesting. Um, David Cohn, you know, he was a great MLB pitcher, uh, said that when he first saw Bo in the locker room, that he was just blown away. He said it was like Zeus came down off the mountain, seeing him uh, <laughs> strutting through the locker room. And on top of that, Bo didn't like to work out. He was notorious for not being big on practice, not being big on workouts or anything. He was just genetically gifted. I mean, God decided to reach down and just kind of, you know, create this this ultimate being. And then, unfortunately, his career was cut way too short. So, um, and and also, just kind of last thing, just re- finished reading a book that's called The Last Folk Hero. I would definitely recommend y'all reading it. It's called that because kind of everyone has a Bo Jackson story. You know, of, oh, man, I saw him jump over a moving Volkswagen, or I saw him, you know, throw a, a rock when he was seven years old that went 500 feet, you know, or, or something like that. But it's written by a guy named Jeff Perlman, and he was saying that it's it, that Bo happened in the day and age before social media, before everything was documented. And so 
Clark, kind of like what you were saying with things like Babe Ruth and stuff, a lot of it's hearsay that just kind of leads to, you know, it's almost like tall tales, like Paul Bunyan type stuff. And there are just all sorts of stories about Bo Jackson like that. It just kind of made him larger than life. Um, so just really fascinating character. But yeah, just a shame that we didn't get to see his full potential um, in baseball or football. And, and it's, it's crazy when you talk about tall tales from people who are larger alive and you do hear things like that about Jim Thorpe or about Babe Ruth or Josh Gibson. But these are players that come at a time where, you know, people don't have their eyes on them and there's, there's not this documentation, but Bo played in an era where there was, and he's still revered as that and has, and is this mythical figure. And James, another point you made that, that I thought was interesting the other night when Shohei tore his UCL, he stayed in the game to hit and he's on second and he's standing on second. The game stopped and the entire Reds infield comes up to Shohei and Ellie De La Cruz reaches out his finger and like touches Shohei. Yeah. And he, sh- he, wants, <laughs> he wants to see if Shohei's yeah, real. real. Yeah. yeah. And, and none of these dudes, cool. there's, there's like four different languages involved here. None of them are communicating with language. They're all communicating just the love of baseball and smiles and, and eye contact mm-hmm. and the announcer, one of the announcers, not the person doing the broadcast, but somebody who, who was talking about the event said that they haven't seen other athletes look at an athlete like those athletes were looking at Shohei Otani since Bo Jackson. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, saying that something. Cool. Yeah. Bo was six one two twenty seven and ran a four one three forty. Um, so just Good absolute Lord. unit. Uh, and, yeah. and then one last thing kind of to add to his mystique after he got hurt, uh, you know, he took a couple of years off. He came back with the Chicago white Sox, and in his first at bat back hit a bomb. So it's just like, yeah. you know, it's, it's another one of those things that just kind of adds to his, his just, you know, legendary larger than life status. So, uh, yeah, I had, had to go with Bo Jackson on that one. Imagine mm-hmm. if Bo had stayed healthy and didn't have those problems and he would have had the work work ethic like Herschel yeah. Walker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no telling. Yeah. My mm-hmm. gosh. Uh but Bo's the perfect example of this topic. Brad, who you got? What other athlete really outside of baseball would you change your injury history? Yeah, I kind of stayed on theme with uh my favorite some of my favorite athletes of all time that were chasing records that I wanted to see them break, and my other one was Tiger Woods. Um I think everybody wanted to see him break Jack's record, right? Like you have these generational athletes that you're watching constantly and you kind of want to see them get there unless they're LeBron James. He's like the one exception to that rule. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but I really wanted to see it and I think we would have, but uh, of course the, the injury wasn't the only thing that set him back. Of course he had the whole infidelity drama, the infidelity drama and divorce he went through kind of cost him two seasons of his prime um coming out of the 2009 season he had won six times that year uh in november the story broke uh of all the drama he went through with his wife and all and the whole story there that we're all familiar with um he actually played several times in the years the two years seasons that followed but he won zero times in that during that span uh so he just wasn't the same at all uh to put it into perspective uh he was younger than roy McIlroy now is now uh, when all that happened in 2009. Hmm. So he had so much left in the tank. Uh, came back in 2012, and over the next two seasons, he won eight times. So he kind of got back into form. He did not win. I don't think he won one of his main. No, he didn't. He only won one more major after that. So he came in 
from 2009 with 14 majors. Uh, and I think he was 32 at that time. Uh, and then after that, though, starting in that 2014 season, that's when we started to see the back issues manifest themselves. And he was just never the same after that. We started seeing withdrawals, miscuts. Um, and since that 2013 season, we've seen him win just three golf tournaments in 10 years for Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unreal. It's a real shame because, I mean, I don't think there's any question he would have broken that. He would have broken that record, especially when you consider and look back at those 2010 and 2011 seasons in particular. Maybe the back issues were coming either way down the line, but if he's fully in the game during that, I mean, that was in the heart of his prime coming off seasons where he'd won 10 tournaments over the previous two seasons, including a couple majors. Um, I just think that he would have gotten there. Yeah. Uh, right now I, he sits at 15. Mm-hmm. I was just to say, I agree with you. He was so good. So much fun to watch. Like golf was just <clears throat> absolutely electric when Tiger was, was in his prime. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, he currently sits at 15. Uh, so he's three short and there's no shot. He's going to get there at this point, obviously. Um, so that's, I mean, it is what it is. I don't know that Jack's record will ever get broken now. Uh, but I would have loved to seen Tiger Woods do it. So we talk about our dads talking about players that they watched and, and injuries. And I mean, my dad was the one who told me about Mickey Mantle's injury. And then he talks about Koufax and now we're talking about people in our generation. Uh, even though Bo was a little bit before it, I still consider Griffey and obviously Tiger in our generation. But the one my dad always goes back to is, well, if Ben Hogan didn't get in his car crash. Mm-hmm. He talks yeah. about that all the time. That's a good one. Um, ben Hogan leaned over and, and tried to protect his wife, and it's actually what saved him because the steering wheel went through the driver's side seat. Um, I'll have to look it up, but I think Ben Hogan still had a really dang good career after that, but it, it, it messed him up pretty bad. Uh, my guy, I'm going football. Uh, I'm going Sterling Sharp. Mm. brother of shannon uh he should not be known as brother of shannon shannon should be known as brother of sterling uh sterling i mean sterling was that dude man only played seven seasons uh he got a neck injury and and had to retire at the age of 29 uh we're talking about a three-time first team all pro uh two-time receptions leader two-time touchdowns leader led the league in yards catches and touchdowns for the triple crown in 1992 uh, first wide receiver ever with back-to-back 100 catch seasons. Um, when I first got in NFL football, I, that's just like when you only know a few players. I knew Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. I knew the Cowboys, and of course, you know a few of the Forty Niners. Uh, we all knew who Jerry Rice was, but there was one other receiver that was compared with Jerry Rice, and it was Sterling Sharp. They were head and shoulders above every other receiver in football at that time. And it was a, uh, they put distance between them and number three. Um, obviously nobody's matching what Jerry Rice is, is done. I don't think that Jerry Rice is not only the best receiver of all time. I think he's the best football player of all time. Uh, but Sterling Sharp was the second best receiver and putting up numbers that we're seeing in 2023. And he was doing it in 1989, not to mention his first four seasons, Sterling Sharp's quarterbacks were Don Muschkowski, Randy Wright, Anthony Dilweg, Blair Keel, and Mike Tomzak. Uh, people forget only his last three years were when he played with Favre. Um, mm-hmm. So he only got three out of seven years with Favre, retired at 29. Uh, 
the thing that's absolute BS is that he never even made it as a Hall of Fame semifinalist. I don't know how you can be the second best player at your position for more than half a decade and not make it past the semifinals in the Hall mm. of Fame. Uh, a lot of information's out there about that Sterling was notorious for not talking to the media. And when you get voted on by those things, like we talked about Kurt Schilling a few weeks ago, um, if people don't like you, that's going to kill your chances in, in a media voting award. Uh, so him not talking to the media for seven years, probably rough some people the wrong way and they didn't like him. Uh, but he was far and away the second best wide receiver of his era. The, over seven years, the dude averaged uh, 1,162 yards and 9.3 touchdowns over seven year span. Um, just ridiculous in, in that day and age. And when Shannon Sharp was inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, Shannon Sharp led his speech with, he had Sterling present him. And Shannon said, uh, I'm the only one in the Hall of Fame that can say that I'm not the best football player in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm he deserves worried. to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he'll ever get his chance. Uh, that initial chance passed him by. Uh, we do see players a little bit later in life. I don't know the format, but they, they do give ch- chances to players who got passed over initially and then had some time go by. Uh, hopefully when we're a little bit older, and Sterling's numbers just kind of compare to history. And people were like, this guy was doing this in the eighties and early nineties. My goodness. Um, I still think seven years, a big sample size. We see guys like Terrell Davis being in the hall of fame with similar sample sizes. Uh, Sterling sharp would have loved to see what he'd done. Only 29 years old. And Brett Favre was just getting started at that time too. Hey, what, um, what was Sterling sharps last year in the NFL? So Sterling sharps 90s. last year in the NFL was 94. Four, I can double okay. check that real quick. So that that's a shame too, that would, be, because yeah. he missed out on once the Packers had that really had that run in the you know mid to late nine. I guess really yeah. kind of starting in ninety six. Yeah, his last year was ninety four. Yeah. Um, that he did sense. have that game he against the Cowboys. I think he had. I think when I saw it, he had like one hundred and thirty eight yards in that game against the Cowboys, where the Cowboys beat him. They, the Packers could never get past the Cowboys, and then yeah. Um, they finally broke through and then beat the Patriots in that Super Bowl and then had that big upset to John Elway uh, where the Packers right. were 11 and a half point favorites and Elway finally right. got them. But yeah, mm. it, it would have been unbelievable to see him play with Favre at the peak of his powers and go on those deep playoff runs. Um, you have to imagine if Sterling just last three more years, I mean, not even three more years, he's on that Super Bowl team. Uh, but two more years, he makes a couple more deep playoff runs, and then he gets to 10,000 yards and probably 85, 90 touchdowns. It's just a shame. He had a lot of good football left in him. Uh, I don't even know if we saw the best of his football. But that's my guy mm-hmm. right there. It's a good one. Um, yep. Guys, I think we are going to save uh, NFC overrated, underrated. Uh, we still got another week before NFL starts, so we can kind of kick that to next week. Um we're at about the hour and a half mark right now. Uh, we had a lot I'm to talk about today. We're gonna give you. Uh, I know. I know. Uh, yeah, that's a good teaser for next week, though, Brad. <laughs> for those of you who made it this far, yeah, get yeah. ready. Brad's coming. Um, final thoughts, uh, James. Let's start with you, man. August 29th. What's happened in the world of sports on August 29th? August 29th. This day in history. So. Uh, first one is kind of relevant to what's going on in the tennis world. So this one's going back to 1908. 
So we're getting some old school tennis. They were still probably like playing in suits with sweaters tied around their neck and wood, <laughs> you know, wooden rackets and all that good stuff. Um, but U.S. National Championship men's tennis. Defending champion William Larned beats Beals Wright 6-1-6-2-8-6 for his fourth of seven singles titles. So I guess that guy was really good back in the day. I don't know anything about him, but I thought that was and Wait, what tournament was this? The U.S. National, US National Championship men's tennis. Okay, that makes so sense. So there wasn't a U.S. Open yet, but that's what it essentially was. There were probably like six guys in it. <laughs> so, but but William Larned was was the best back in back in '08. Um, all right, so this next one, 1964. This uh, I, I came across this one and picked it out because Clark it plays right into one of your uh, guys that you talked about, Mickey Mantle. So nice. August 29, 1964, Mickey Mantle ties. This is a dubious record. Ties Babe Ruth's career strikeout record, 1,330. Mm. So that's what Mickey and Trout also have in common. They will strike out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, hit the ball hard and uh, and miss hard. Uh, <laughs> 1965, Willie Mays, another guy that we mentioned. Willie Mays sets the National League record for home runs in a month by hitting 17 in August in 1965. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Hit the 17th on August 29 back in 1965. Yeah. I mean, talk about being hot. Um, I got to remember, do y'all, do y'all remember what Sammy got to in 98 when Sammy had that, uh, big June where he was on the cover of sports Illustrated and caught Mark McGuire. He did something. He had like a really hot June. I'll have to look it up after the show. Yeah. That that was an entertaining home run chase, even though it was totally fake. Um, so <laughs> it, was, it was still really fun. Uh, all right. So August 29, 1977, Lou Brock eclipses Ty Cobb's 49-year-old record for stolen bases by getting his 893rd stolen bag, which, of course, Ricky Henderson then like did that in two seasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for back in the day, Lou Brock – setting a, a major league record. So I thought that was a good one. Um, yeah. 1978, this day in history, this is another tennis one. The USTA National <laughs> Tennis Center opens in Flushing, New York. Oh, cool. So, yeah, 78. This day in history in 19... 19- I guess, did they have Louis Armstrong built then? I um, don't, I don't I know. Like, what's the... I, don't I wonder know. if they had stadium tennis back then. Yeah, it just says the the tennis center, so I'm not exactly sure like what all that entails. Um, but yeah, just thought that was relevant with the U.S. Open kicking off. Um, mm-hmm. So August 29, 1982, George Brett, one of my favorite players when I was a kid, gets his 1500th hit career hit on August 29, 1982. Man, that guy was good. He was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about a guy who's got some all-time quotes about Bo Jackson. Yeah. You can hear George Brett talk about Bo Jackson. He could talk about him for weeks. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, 1987, this day in history. At the time, Houston Astro Nolan Ryan. I feel like I have Nolan Ryan like every week. He did something. <laughs> Nolan I mean, Ryan. He played four decades. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And was really good for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Nolan Ryan gets 200 strikeouts for a record 11th time. So 11 seasons wow. with over 200 strikeouts in 1987. He did it uh, for an 11th time. 
2012, this is a little bit of a scandal. The USADA strips Lance Armstrong of his seven Tour de France titles. So once again, it's totally fake. Just records built on lies. So Lance Armstrong <laughs> gets gets stripped of his legacy. And then the most recent one, 2022, Albert Pujols, back with the St. Louis Cardinals, hits home run number 694 off of a major league record, the 450th different pitcher that he hit a bomb off of. So he holds the record for the most different pitchers that, that he's hit a home run off of, which I thought was a, a cool number. Um, yeah, that's cool. And yeah, that was in 2022 when he was back with the cards. So that's what I've got for this day in sports history. Nice. Right. Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I've been watching the U.S. Open all day the last two days. So um, we've already got a huge upset in the first round. When and I apologize for butchering his name, but Olger Runa, the fourth ranked player in the world, got beat. Um, He's from like Denmark. It's okay. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty rare though you see someone that highly ranked going out in the first round. So that was pretty cool. I got to watch that match. Um, the Americans who we've talked about uh, last week off to a good start. Tiafo looked awesome yesterday. I got to watch his whole match. Fritz, he and Fritz both won in straight sets yesterday. Eubanks won three sets to one. Uh, John Isner won today too. This is his last U.S. Open he'll be competing in. Uh, they honored him after his match. I thought it was kind of interesting. They mentioned that. He actually has the most aces in men's singles history with 14,411 currently. That's a good stat. And he's still, act- still alive, still so that alive, number's going to grow a little bit. Um, but, guys, I put a little bet in bad. yesterday yeah. for a winner nice. at the U.S. Yeah. Open, a long yeah. shot. Yeah. And we talked about we them talked about last them week a little bit off air, James, but Andre Rublev. The yeah. eighth-ranked eighth player, eighth player in the world. Uh, he was really impressive at Wimbledon. And I know, James, you saw – you said you saw a lot of the Wimbledon coverage. He had one of the most amazing – yeah, he had one of the most amazing shots I've ever seen. That diving forehand yeah. he made to win that really long rally. Um, he had a great run at Wimbledon in general. Made it to the quarterfinals before running into Djokovic, losing three sets to one. Um, turned right around from Wimbledon, though. Round won the Wimbledon, next tournament the he, next played tournament he played in. Beat Sarandola, Zverev, and then Casper Ruud in the final. Um, some tournament some in Sweden tournament does, Sweden, but he's got some he's momentum, got some coming, momentum in. coming in. His biggest court biggest competition, court competition in, the, in his quarter of the bracket is Medvedev. He's obviously got a good track record at the U.S. Open, but he's beaten Medvedev two out of the last three times they played. So I like his chances to make it to the semis. And then it'll be a miracle from there. But he was 101. You bet on him to win? I put a bet on him to win. win, Nice. Couldn't resist those odds. We'll see what happens if you pull up a miracle and make a run. I like it. I like it. Real quick, guys. Can can y'all hear me? I can hear you. I'm having some major technical Yeah, there's an echo coming through a little bit. There's an echo. Just play through it. Just play through it. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Uh, My final thought, I'll keep it quick. Uh, I want to talk about Austin Reeves real quick. This guy looks like the dude on Team USA. (laughs) And the Lakers got him for cheap. Um, The rest of the league really screwed up. The Spurs were looking at him for $100 million. So were a few other teams. And now LeBron's going to get to play with uh, Austin Reeves are much cheaper, and he's just going to keep getting better. So that's mm-hmm. my final thought. I look forward to watching the USA uh, in the World Cup. Um, I can't believe there was zero offers for him. Unbelievable. Yeah. Him and Anthony Edwards seem like the dudes, but I, I never thought Austin Reeves would be this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So it's going to be fun to watch him going forward. Yep. Uh, that is our show for tonight, for today, uh, whatever day you're listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, catch us back next week, uh, and we'll see you then. We'll see you Been later. Been real young. Been real young. <laughs>